Hi, I'm Pastor Stefan Margeson. This is the sermon podcast for Aldersgate Worship Service of Front Street United Methodist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. Come and join us each Sunday morning in person at 8.45 a.m. in the Aldersgate Gym. God be with you. Luke 13, 31 through 35, and I'm reading from NRSV. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's start with a word of prayer. Holy and gracious God, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. And God, under your wings, bring us closer to you in all areas of our life. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. Well, what an epic tale we have today in that scripture that you just heard. I mean, it's chock full, those few short selection of verses. It tells a huge grasp, gap, what's that word? A, a huge grand story. Let's use that one. There is drama, there's tension, there is remorse and sadness and mourning. There's a cliffhanger that's in there, if you don't see that. You see all those movements that happen in this little short section? Do you see the plot twist? It's all in there. Books and movies and plays throughout history have done an amazing job at, at capturing a huge breadth of life of a person or a place and distilling them down into a small, digestible moment for us to take in through a couple hundred pages in a book, uh, an hour or so in a movie, or maybe that in a play. And they do so in wonderful ways. In the best movies and books and plays, they give us the minute details of the characters adjusting and changing to the environment around them. We get a sense of what happens in between the stories, even though we're not told exactly what it is. It's amazing to see that work, isn't it? And the best movies and books and plays, the authors and directors that bring them to us, they'll tell us that as they give that story to us, they make sure that they are always remembering us, the audience, the people that will listen and see the story that is unfolding in front of them in this grand tale. And scripture is very good at doing that for us. In fact, it begins pretty quickly with Jesus at the opening. Now, a show of hands, who in this room hasn't wanted to say to somebody, go and tell that fox for me? 
<laughs> yeah, most everybody. There's that one person. Now, that is a drastic thing for Jesus to say in this moment. As he's talking about King Herod, it would have been common to use an animal as a representation for the king, but it wouldn't have been a fox. It would have been a lion, this grand creature, right? But Jesus chooses a fox. And so as he's telling them to go back and tell King Herod, you fox, he's saying, you schemer, you trickster, you manipulator. Those are some harsh accusations. And in that, you can feel the tension in the story build almost from the very beginning. This conflict between King Herod and Jesus, there is a huge tension that builds right here from the beginning. And you wonder, oh my gosh, what is about to happen? The story continues to involve us in its life as Jesus says, listen, I have a lot to do in only three days to do it. Now that sounds like me, maybe you as well. I've got a lot to do and only a short time to do it. We're still connecting with Jesus in this moment until the next phrase that says Jesus is casting out demons and causing miracles or cures. Okay, we lose Jesus a little bit there. And we begin to see, maybe it's not Jesus that we're connecting to in this story. Maybe it's not Jesus that we're supposed to be relating to, but someone else. I don't know many of us that are casting out demons or causing miraculous cures. If you are, I'd love to talk with you. But as we go through this story, we start to get a sense uh, that this tension, well, it's between Jesus and the king in some sense, but it's a... It's a bigger tension, a deeper tension, more involved than what is on the surface. The very next thing Jesus says is, I must go. I must go. A few weeks ago, we celebrated the transfiguration of Christ. Just a few chapters before this, in Luke chapter 9, we get a picture of Jesus going on the mountainside and praying and prophets, Elijah and Moses, seemingly appear, and Peter and some of the disciples see this happening, and a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my beloved, my son, whom I have chosen. And in this moment, as Jesus has been uh, practicing his ministry publicly in the world, this is the moment where Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem. This is our Lenten story that we walk through for the next several weeks. It's not simply Jesus performing miracles and teaching as in the verses we see before this one, but it's Jesus journeying closer and closer to Jerusalem, to the center where it will happen, and that it, you know, is the cross. And on Transfiguration Sunday, we see and we celebrate Jesus as a leader who practices not only the divinity of God, but also the humanity that we hold as well, where our will becomes intention often with God's. And on Transfiguration Sunday, we see a picture of Jesus whose human side, human will perfectly aligns with the will of God to walk step by step without hesitation or fail to the cross. Jesus is leading us by example here. And so in that phrase, I must go, it's not simply a want of Jesus. It's not simply a, a small desire of Jesus to go and do, to walk towards Jerusalem. Jesus must, as in it is not only his will, but the will of the Father that brings him to this place. 
And so the tension that begins to unfold in this is not just Jesus against King Herod, not one power against the other. It is the will of God against the will of people. That tension that pulls and stretches. And we know that on a regular basis. And then the story takes a little bit of a turn. Because at this moment, after Jesus has explained his work to go towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, ever closer in these steps through Lent, we see Jesus take a moment of breath, of pause. In this story, the music slows down and becomes a little bit sad. And Jesus, in these words, it's not simply Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jesus cries with anguish in this moment, recognizing and knowing the work that he is about to do, the sacrifice that he is about to make for these people that he is walking to, and yet still, they have not heard his cry. They have not heard his call to bring them into the fold. This story, it slows down here. That tension, it dissipates and becomes hurt. And in this moment, as Jesus has claimed King Herod as the fox, turns and claims himself as the mother hen. What a juxtaposition there. This fox that would come in and take the chicks, always thinking of itself. And Jesus, as the mother hen, trying to gather her brood together under the safety of her wings. And yet still, it seems, in this story, at least Jerusalem, these people at this time choose yet the fox. That's where the cliffhanger begins to hit in a little bit. The cliffhanger of what will they choose? We don't yet know the full breadth of this story. We haven't gotten all the way to Jerusalem, to the cross yet. And so the tension is still there for these people in that question, the cliffhanger. What will they choose? Who will they go with, the fox or the hen? With the king or with Jesus? Their will or God's will? But we know that that cliffhanger has a written outcome. That cliffhanger that is there, it's not so much for these people because we know what will happen next. We've read that story. But the cliffhanger is yet still for us, is it not? For our work on a daily basis, on, on, on every moment basis, every opportunity we have as God calls us into the world, God is asking us to align our will with God's will in all things. And this question for us, who will we choose, the fox or the hen? The fox that has only its own best interest at heart at all times, or the hen that wants to pull us in closer into the comfort and loving arms of its wings. Who will we choose? Now there's a plot twist still. There's a plot twist. You see, you wonder what brings Jesus to this point of a tirade. 
You wonder what sets Jesus off. For the last several chapters, he's been teaching and proclaiming good news to all of these people around him, to the disciples and the other crowds that gather in. But yet at this moment, as he is being warned of the threat to come, he goes off and, and exclaims how upset he is at what is happening around him. Well, the plot twist, if you didn't catch it, happens right at the very beginning, before we really even get into the midst of it. Maybe we get to that point of seeing Jesus claiming king as fox, and we think that's the beginning. But no, just before that, as he is warned of this king and this threat that is coming in, do you see who it is that is threatening? Do you see who it is that is bringing him this warning? It's the Pharisees. In this strange happenings at the beginning of this story, it is the Pharisees, the same people that have been trying to catch him in the act of doing something wrong, illegal, the same people who are looking to arrest him, the same people who are testing him on all things of Jewish knowledge. Those same people are the ones that bring him the warning from King Herod. Why is that? I wonder if Jesus hears in that one of the saddest things. These people, these Pharisees, they know. They know that Jesus is telling the truth. They know that Jesus is right. They believe in what Jesus is saying so much so that they want to keep Jesus safe. And yet, they still choose the fox. They live in those two worlds and think that that is okay. To say, Jesus, I want you to be saved. Jesus, I don't want you to be killed by this king, but my allegiance is still over here. How painful that must be for Jesus to see. These people want to be inside the fold under those wings and yet cannot let go of their relationship to the fox. There in that plot twist, we see a question for us. Where is it in our lives where we allow the fox to still be in control of us? Yet seemingly outwardly, we share with people that we are defending Jesus, we are keeping Jesus safe within us, but still our work in the world is for the fox. You can list off any number of idols here, any number of temptations that you'd like to to fit this space of the fox, anything that fills your life and says that this is my ruling factor in how I engage with others, that is that space of the fox. And in Jesus, who yet calls us away, beckons us away, calls us into the fold, is crying out each and every day for us to walk away from those things. And we come up with plenty of excuses. I have to keep this near me because this allows me to do so much good in the world. I have to keep in this fold because it, it keeps me sane, ready. Whatever that is for you, then I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what that might be. But it's a question that is for us. What is that fox in our life? And can we see and recognize that that fox is only there for itself? 
but a mother hen is calling us into her wings. There is a love and safety and a protection that is there. If only we will walk to it. Our will be the will of God's. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.